This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Nets and orgs coming soon. Once the budget frees up. Got to have full control of the internet. That's our goal. Total control. Jay, can we do a dot DMO? Is that possible? Can we build our own? Oh, good question. I'll have to check and see. I didn't see that one. But you never know. You know, I got to imagine that we there's some sort of option for us to create our own. What's that? What are those three letters called after the dot? You know that, right? What are the three? Oh, domain? Yeah. Is I that, don't know. No, it's not that. Come on, you're a computer guy. <laughs> you work in computers. That part of my brain isn't working. Okay. My music part is working right now. Right. Well, let's get to the music, Jay. Excellent segue. We've got a patron-selected episode this week. Back, it's been a year or so, somewhere in that range. It's how it works, because 12 months go by, people come back, we get to catch up, discuss what has happened in the last year, that sort of thing. And we talk about a record. So joining us... Last year it was the Nixons. This year it's a new band and album. Welcome back, Tara McCook. Welcome. Hey, everybody. How are y'all doing? Good, good. Yes, very good. Just trying to stay cool in this yeah. summer heat. Yeah, it's been quite a year, especially since uh, since I talked to y'all last. I moved from Virginia back home to Alabama. And, oh, yeah, I forgot what summer was like down here. <laughs> it's been a brand new adjustment, and I may be a little bit more southern sounding than I was this time 12 months ago. <laughs> Because the accent came right back. I, I, I caught uh, y'all when you, when you joined. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, didn't Isn't Reed Strength from Alabama as well, Jay? Am I remembering that correctly? Yes. Yes. Wow. We are, we're building an Alabama contingent. Excellent. I didn't, I didn't expect that. We we're going to have to have a we satellite office. We are the biggest office. 90s music podcast in Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. So thank you, thank you, Tara. Yes, fifty percent of our representation. <laughs> Without further ado, please tell everyone the album and band you have selected for this episode. Okay, so this is a uh, an album that is unlike last time, which was kind of a, a fun little album that I kind of enjoyed that I had good memories around. This is a record that's probably still in my top twenty favorites of all time. And it's called Forever Equals One Day by Virginia's own Fighting Gravity. This one is obscure. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. The people really the people are, are only going to be able to find this on YouTube thanks to someone's <laughs> illegal upload. Now, in fairness, it is on Apple Music. So if you yeah, oh, it is? It oh, yeah. I don't use Apple Music, so I'm sorry. I didn't know that. I use yeah. Spotify because I'm a, I'm a pauper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did you discover the band? 
so I went to college at Washington, my freshman year at Washington University in Lexington, Virginia. And I got there in the fall of 98 and Fighting Gravity originated in the, you know, they're a Richmond, Virginia band. They formed at Virginia Tech, so in the Shenandoah Valley. And for several years before and a couple of years after I got to college, they were one of the best sort of mid-Atlantic, Northeast Corridor party bands and co like college party bands out there. So I bought this record at Crossroads Records and Tapes in Lexington. It was like the first record I bought when I got to college. So there's already like 12 layers of nostalgia around <laughs> that. And then they played a couple of frat shows in town. Like, you know, I think, I think the first one was at like Kaisai or something random. And so they just were sort of part of the scene of those Virginia late 90s college days. And it was, you know, from there I was just hooked. I fell in love. Now you mentioned in your... Um in your email mm -hmm. that you considered them ska adjacent, I believe was the yeah. phrase. Yeah. This record is sort of a slight departure from there. Like if you see their shows, they are pretty heavy into it, into this kind of traditional fast paced ska sound and other records of theirs. If you go and kind of dig into the catalog, like they cover 5446 was my number. Like there's a lot of heavy ska in there. They do one show a year usually at Christmas in Richmond. And I went this past year and, oh boy, it, 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 people in the audience might've been skanking. It was kind of intense. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, had, had you ever heard of Fighting Gravity? The name sounds familiar. And when I, when I pulled them up on Apple Music and listened to it, there's a couple other bands in here that I remember at the, um, from the 90s around Ohio, like Oval Opus and Pat McGee Band and Slackjaw and... There's a bunch of bands that they're related to, I guess, or at least you may also likes that are obscure, but still right. ones that jog my memory. I, I want to say, wasn't there a band when we were in college? I don't know. They were from the area. They were called the Twist Offs. And weren't they like kind of a ska party band Yeah, from, from like Northeast Ohio? Yep. Maybe they're from Cleveland or that area. But I remember that band playing like Akron, Toledo Bowling Green all the time. Are they from Akron? from Akron? Oh, okay. I think so, yeah. Yeah, it seemed like that was pretty. That was like a solid. Each region had like their sort of solid mm -hmm. touring, consistent like because they were like you mentioned about them for fraternity parties, and there's actually there's a full Rolling Stone article from March of 1996 written yep. by, by David Wilde that is it's not a review it's like an a interview you know profile of this band when this album is coming out it's actually the yeah. only like d like review or anything i could find specifically about this record but it's really in depth and it gets into you know all the members of the band and what they were doing and the trying to make the transition from being sort of a frat party band to you know the next record um, is that on Mercury? I think you know they make the jump to a, a major label from Bob Records, which is what, what this was released on in 1996. Which I think I, I, they must have been connected to that label because their previous band yeah. was also all their releases were out on there. So I don't know if somebody like ran the label from the band or a friend of theirs or how that worked. But pretty much the only band that's on the label is yeah. From that. what I recall, Bob Records was just sort of their name for we're going to put out our records now. Gotcha. So it's interesting. So this is the one, I don't want to say they got them signed, but 
when this album came out, they were essentially an indie band. Yep. And they were profiled in Rolling Stone, which is pretty, you know, that's a pretty big deal to get pro- a full profile in Rolling Stone in, in 1996 before you even have an, out, an album out, not even on an indie, like Merge or Matador or something like that, but on, like on your own label, essentially. Yeah, as part of this whole issue, uh, that article, that profile was part of their like college issue that year. So they went hard into a whole bunch of different colleges. I used to have a copy of the whole issue because my dad subscribed to Rolling Stone forever and kept everything, but he finally tossed it. Oh, yeah, that would have been cool to check out. Yeah. I wonder if there's, uh, I wonder if like on, um, I know Google has an archive of like old magazines for like, I can go back and look at old CMJ magazines. Yeah. And I wonder if they do that for like Rolling Stone or if you have to buy into some sort of art archive. I don't know. Um, Rolling Stone sold me a quote unquote lifetime subscription sometime towards the end of my undergraduate days. Uh, and it's going on 20 years and I've paid $99 one time and I still get an issue of Rolling Stone every little while. So I wouldn't be so sure about their business acumen. <laughs> <laughs> How's Jan Winter making money. that money? The other thing I dug up, <laughs> which I just enjoyed this from the time frame aspect. So there's three reviews on Amazon for this album. One of them is from 1998, which <laughs> I thought actually two of them are, but one's from July 98. And I was like, Amazon existed in July of 1998 and they were selling CDs. Like I, I had no rec- recollection, but the way that this review is, it's a five-star review by a person named Michelle Lee. And it says, Fighting Gravity began as a local band at Virginia Tech, gained favorite group status at many state venues, and has now become a national success! Exclamation <laughs> point. New Mercury recording artist Fighting Gravity, a formerly mostly ska group, maintains a unique pop style that fans here in Blacksburg can't get enough of. I own every Fighting Gra- Gravity album, and I love the way their musical style has evolved. Forever <laughs> equals one day, represented perhaps their most dramatic change from previous albums, and it really reflects a universal appeal with songs like One Day and Mission Bells. Forever Equals a Day is just a taste of great things to come. (laughs) I wonder if Michelle worked in the Mercury Records uh, (laughs) promotions department and was an intern at that time, because that's pretty blatantly a, uh, (laughs) a plug to check out the next record. That is some high quality PR language right there. Yeah. So, Amazon, 1998. I wonder what the earliest Amazon review is. Like, when did that, when did they start? Uh, Anybody know that? If you're listening live, please go. I mean, at at that time, they would have just been, like, selling books and music. Yeah. They were founded in uh, 94. Huh. Okay. Well, let's get into this record. Forever equals one day. Fighting gravity. Nineteen ninety six. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about this record. I like when they go. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of ska, so the less when they're not doing ska, I like it better. <laughs> to start it there, um, I hear some '80s stuff here that's um, I think kind of cool. It makes it a bit timeless. Um, I can hear uh, the police and staying. Obviously, there's you know they have a kind of a ska influence at times to their music too but or reggae um, i also i also hear some sorry reggae um i also hear 
like some seventies prog, uh, a little bit here and there that, that I kind of like. So thinking of like almost Kansas. So like fools and the King. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Uh, some acoustic guitar in there. Obviously not the choruses, but I think the verses sound like Emerson, Lake and Palmer or Kansas or something like that. So I, I kind of like that. I mean, obviously they're super talented musicians. You know, they got a lot of stuff going on. Um, sometimes it's um, a little busy, um, but other times I, I like hearing uh, some of the keyboard stuff. There's a lot of organ on the record. Um, there's a lot of uh, horns of various types. It's sometimes hard to tell like what's going on there, like how, how many different horns and flutes and things there are. So there's definitely a lot of there's layers. There's a lot of musicianship. The bass player is crazy good, um, even though I'm not a huge fan of the fretless bass. Like he's really really talented. I think vocally it it, it works probably better than anything for me. I, I like the singer quite a bit. I think he can do um, do a lot. He can carry a melody. It doesn't get overly. I think when they do the reggae stuff, it's almost like when Sting does reggae. You know, it's. It, it kind of makes it his own. It doesn't sound too derivative other than, you know, mm-hmm. musically what's going on. Yeah, I mean, those are some of the things that were highlights for me. What about you? Well, you know, it's weird. My musical tastes have evolved over time, obviously. I, I think that happens to anyone who listens to a lot of music. And if I heard this in 1996, I probably would have listened to it once and never listened to it again. The only thing that was ska-adjacent that I listened to because I did not listen to ska, I guess would be like no doubt because they would sort of toe the line between rock and, and ska. And I'm thinking of, you know, a song like ex-girlfriend doesn't have any ska aspect to it or, and don't sleep or, you know, those songs are they're They might have just tiny touches of ska, but really, I mean, spider webs, I guess is the one it's, closer and in, in into that vein but over time i found myself listening to a lot more music that's reggae and dub reggae and and world music and what have you and um i i found myself when this was just on and i was headed on in the background working really like enjoying the vibe like it's a it's a nice even feel throughout the whole record i think there's only like one or two songs that get beyond mid-tempo and the rest of the record is like in a nice mid-tempo range which on a song you know on the, on the opening track one day and then like mission bells 
Fool and uh, Fools and Kings, those all have like this nice sweet sweet spot that ska or or reggae upstrum that feel. Yeah. But I don't feel like it's like sometimes I would listen to that music and it would feel like an imitation that I yep. didn't particularly care for. And this seems a lot more relaxed, which is what I like dialed into. Like I liked yeah. the vibe of this a lot better than most of what I had heard before. I'm with you. It, it, it goes up to the, it walks right up to the line for me to the point where it's not so much that like I repel. <laughs> uh, right. I, it just sounds, I guess it sounds authentic, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like they go right up to the line where it sounds authentic enough and they're able to do it well without going so far. It sounds a little silly for, you know, white guys from Virginia to be doing reggae. Um, well, it's I not all white the, guys. Well, so, well, not from Jamaica. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I get you, Americans. Um, yes, yes. Um, I also heard like vocally, um, David Usher from Moist, a little bit here and there. I don't know if uh, familiar are with him, but the way the phrasing is done remind me a lot of the way that he phrases, which I like a lot. Hmm. Um, so again, vocally. Uh, I think that's where the flavor for me comes from. So it doesn't get so derivative um, and kind of keeps it in this alternative rock place that, that works. But I'm with you on the, you know, I don't think when this came out or in the nineties, I would have been able to hear as much as I can hear now. Tara, what works for you on this record? So, yeah. Um, Siobhan McGee is probably one of my favorite vocalists just out there in the world and it always really bummed me out that they never kind of got over the hump you know i think they suffered from their music not really being very well classifiable especially i think they you know they make reference to this in the rolling stone uh profile but you know people were trying to you know oh here's another hootie let's do that and that didn't quite work but his vocals are just utterly gorgeous and the passage from bend the light through spinning is just so like it's almost hard to describe it it's just such a perfect vibe and you know even step trying to i spent a lot of time trying to separate my memories and kind of the nostalgia factor away from this record and really give it an objective listen but it's just such a really well put together beautiful ambient uh, you know ambient sound that's just peaceful and mid tempo and it's just it's really fantastic for that you know it's good listen and i think it shines best in the ballads for sure you know quiet angel and sparrow and spinning those are just phenomenal song craft for me yeah i'm with you on the tempos too i think like track four where it's faster tempo it gets a little more jangly i don't like it as much it sounds like maybe rustic root or something but when they slow down it takes on a whole different mood that I think works much better. Yeah. And like some of the, it's interesting when you think about when I had just seen over this past year, when I saw them play, they played a lot of songs from this record sliced in with some of the other more upbeat party songs that they played, you know, in their sets. And it was almost like, okay, that's cool. You can tell that these were some of their best songs, but when they tried to force in kind of peppy party music, it almost detracted from it, you know? Yeah. Cause that, it, it almost feels like, uh, with a track like Lost in the Rain, like it's a much different vibe. Mm-hmm. And that's where I was like not interested in going 
with this record. I like the idea of like sitting on a beach. <laughs> this is mm-hmm. the music that's playing and just chilling to this. And when it gets a little too up tempo, it's it starts breaking that vibe and that's not what I'm that's not what I responded to with this record. And I'm trying to think of what was the other was it Save Ferris? Was the other band that had sort of a, a some ska influence? Yeah, that's another band I have a little nostalgia with. <laughs> oh yeah, were they were they in the Virginia? Did they play that area? I think they're a California band, right? Yeah, they are. Um, it was a warp tour. Plus, also being a seventeen year old girl and Save Ferris was really popular. I mean, I was done. Forget it. That was my wheelhouse. <laughs> Jay, what on the record does not work for you? I struggle a little bit. Well, I think quite a bit lyrically with it. It gets a little new agey and a little generic uh, lyrically. Pulls me out of some of the melodies, even on some of the stronger hooks. Uh, I, I'd rather be more like mysterious because that then it sort of it feels more like, like I said, like seventies prog, where it's like I don't know what he's talking about, but it sounds cool and it's like <laughs> cool visual. Whereas like I don't know, some of it is a little predictable and a little I don't know soft and chewy so lyrically it pulled me out uh, of the record here and there some of the instrumentation like i love when the accordion comes in on um ted's river song but i don't like where the accordion goes Like, I, I, I love the intro of that. I'm like, oh, this is going to be cool. And then it gets super fast and jangly. And I'm like, uh, I kind of want to just pull back and chill with that accordion and see what that's like, you know? Um, so, and, and then there's like a, there's a, um, I'm going to think I'm crazy, but for this one too, but there's a sax uh, section during like a, it's during a solo, Chattered and Torn. There's a solo section in that where the, this, this, the horns are more of like a thematic. They really do a melody part, um, like a whole section. And it reminded me of the guitar solo in Detroit Rock City. <laughs> you know, talking about like the, dun, 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 you know, yeah. that whole thing. Like, I love that idea. I was like, oh, they should do more stuff like that, where there's like a, you know, a middle break section where it, it kind of goes on this almost, you know, departure anthemic kind of, you know, other section of the song and pulls you back in um that would be really cool um i I like the when the horns are like that as opposed to when they're just kind of like in the background syncopated like playing off the guitars sometimes i'm like ah do we really need that i think it would be better if it just was simpler so between that there's like xylophone and roto toms and all kinds of extra instruments that sometimes it works and other times it's a not as successful for me yeah i didn't love some of the production sounds i i like the, the there's some organ stuff that sounded cool that adds a little bit of depth to some of the songs but i definitely heard the drum a lot <laughs> the, the the snare oh yeah and um it's just i mean it's just the style of music yep. that snare is just like mm, right there 
I didn't harp on it too much because I think they mixed it a little lower than some of the other bands um, that we've reviewed. Yeah. In this, that do this style or something similar. Um, so I, I, I gave them a pass. But yeah, the tone's definitely there. They just pulled it down enough in the mix for me to be able to tolerate it. So you've had time, obviously, with this record. I know you said it was in like your top 25. Are there any songs or any issues that you've had with it over the years or any particular things that have stuck out that you, you know, bothered you, Tara? You know, y'all alluded to it. Uh, it is, it does sort of suffer a little bit from being, you know, kind of an indie-ish or a not as big production value band. It, you, it, you can kind of hear it in places. The production's a little thin, you know, and that's something that seeing them live kind of did away with. The sound was a lot more full, obviously, and it didn't kind of have that limitation on it. So there's that. Um, when I used to play this on my CD player that had, you could program the tracks and just let it play like that. It would skip around. I would take off uh, One Day, Shattered and Torn, and occasionally I would take off Ted's River Song, although it's grown on me over time. But really, I think, you know, like y'all said, y'all kind of hit some of the big points I had is that when it starts to deviate into those higher, you know, those faster songs, those more high energy songs, it starts to lose the plot a little bit for me yeah i think the thing with ted's river song is that it starts out i'm like is this a zydeco song like what's what's <laughs> going on here are we going down to the bayou right uh, flashbacks to law school in louisiana <laughs> yeah I just, I just feel like they're so dialed in at when they know where they're at with regards to the slower mid-tempo stuff that the up-tempo stuff just sounds out of place in comparison to it so after this there's a couple records that follow um, I mentioned they signed to Mercury and then 1998, which two years later, they, they released you and everybody else. Um, does it continue down this path? Not the straight up ska, but the more chilled yeah. ska. And in fact, on you and me and every, you, on you and everybody else, they do bend the light mission bells and lost in the rain again. So those are carryovers from that. And it's, it, they're slicked up a little bit. They're re-records. And it does take a tack towards more of that, the tone that we like. And it, and with the better production value, it really is an uplift. There's also a great track on that record called Wait For You that I love very much, but that's a digression for another time. And then they put out an album in 2000 called Hello Cleveland, mm-hmm. which, is that a live album? Yeah, that's a live, that's a live. It was 28 songs, so it's a full, it's a full set and like, on that one, they do Land of Ska, they do uh, White Man and Hammersmith Pelly, like, they go really into their whole, like, you get the full vibe listening to that. It's a fun record. Right, because, well, Forever Equals a Day is their fourth album as uh, Fighting Gravity, and then they were, prior to that, they are called Boy Oh Boy. Oh, Bob Records. Okay, that makes sense now. Yep. And there yep. are... So I guess they had like some legal troubles with regards yeah. to Boy Oh Boy. Yeah, they had to give the name up over a uh, trademark problem, and they were they did fight for a long time. So a lot of those records were put out; those prior records were put out under the Boy Oh Boy name until they finally started to like, okay, we want to move to the next level, and they started trying to trademark everything, and then they had to re-release some under Fighting Gravity. Gotcha. That's why I was trying to figure out why there was like two records called no stopping no standing yep. <laughs> it's like oh it's because they changed the name and just changed the album artwork and put a new name on so yep. 
the last thing I see released is in 2001. It's called Under the Radar Live and Acoustic. Um, is that the end of them, or is, are they like still an active band, or do you know anything what's going on? There was another release in 2006, which I think is kind of a, you know, there was an acoustic release. It was called um, Blue Sky and Black that they put out. The last time I saw them as an active touring band was around that time, some of the 930 Club in D.C., and the room was like half full, and it was pretty clear, okay, this is the end as a going concern. And then they've just started doing these one-off reunion shows, basically. They did one every Christmas for the last four or five years. I think the one for 2019, they already did. They did a benefit in DC for one of their friends, but like they all kind of went back to whatever it is they're doing now. Okay. Well, in the article, they were all like working regular jobs. Yeah. At the time even. So I'm, I'm sure even though they signed to Mercury, I'm sure they didn't all just quit their jobs to yeah. do that. There used to be an article that one of the Richmond like alt weeklies did on Siobhan McGee himself. It was around the time he came out. He came out in, I think, 2011? I think something like somewhere around in there. I went to go find it again, and that I guess whatever newspaper that was is folded. It's not out there anymore. And it was sort of a profile of like him and how he's been spending his career, you know, advocating for un- people without insurance and that sort of thing. He worked in healthcare before that. Interesting. So has he done music besides this? There was a solo website for Siobhan McGee's music, but I've never been able to really find a whole lot about it. So I think it was another one of those local things. He's also done some shows on his own around Virginia. So if you look on YouTube under him, he has his own music page, but I don't think he's been active in a while either. Interesting. He's actually, he's on a Cracker album randomly. Nice. The 2001 album Forever, he sings backing vocals on a song, which also randomly features um, Mark Linkus on keyboards from Sparkle Horse. That's interesting. And uh, he also performed with Natalie Merchant yeah. in 2005 <laughs> on something. So this album comes out in 96. Obviously, this time period, there's a lot going on in terms of a variety of music in the in the mid to late 90s sort of taking shots at the mainstream and and college radio i f- i don't feel like in listening to this record although i do enjoy it listening to it like i said at the beginning like kind of putting it on letting it, letting it go i didn't feel like there was a like a guaranteed single on this where i would go oh yeah that's that's in the same way that i would like listen to sublime and go okay there's some blatant singles on this record. This feels a little more chill, which is not as heavy of hook on any of the songs. Jay, how, what do you feel about that? I, I think there's potential. I don't know. I'm struggling with 1996 and trying to hear some of these songs on the on the radio then. Because I'm thinking like Quiet Angel, maybe. But I don't know in 96, maybe not on rock radio. Maybe, I don't know, just pop radio or something. She's Walks alone to see her lonely face. 
there's some hooks and some melodies here that are strong enough uh, just maybe not the right time or maybe had a hard time finding the right format because that's the other part to having a hit song you got to find the you got to find the radio station format it works right on. well i mean and keep in mind you know this is the era where like the mighty mighty boss tones the next year would have a huge hit yeah yeah i don't think they have any songs like that like there's not any like big high energy you know pop ska songs on here when they do the ska thing, it's less, I think, almost less hooky yeah. than the other stuff. Yeah. I I guess, uh, Tara, from your perspective, this would probably be a band that, like, live, if I mm-hmm. saw them, I'd be, like, really into it. But yeah. I would, I don't know. I, did they get played on college radio? Well, another problem with where I went to college is we had a college radio station, but I couldn't get it all the time in the dorm. Like uh, we were it, it, where, where Lexington, Virginia is, it's the intersection of interstates 64 and 81 down in the mountains. And it like we had to go to an, we had to drive to Roanoke or Charlottesville to go to the mall. So we were kind of on our little island. And so college radio was not really a thing I got to experience. And something that it's funny listening to this podcast, I've been very jealous of y'all's experience because I didn't get to have that and I wanted it. But, you know. Oh, no, no. But, Nobody our, could hear us either. Nobody could hear our st- we we worked really hard, but it was only through carrier current, which means you had to turn your TV on in your dorm room, yeah. and that's oh, how you wow. listen to the station. It wasn't until like our senior year that we actually got an AM stick. Oh wow! And then we were we were like six eighty AM, nice. Which is if you've ever listened to AM, when you get to the either end. Yeah. It's kind it's of fuzzy. Yeah. So we were at the fuzzy cheap end of FM, <laughs> not the yeah. uh, fancy but middle range. It, it didn't matter. Yeah. No, it didn't matter. Like, it, nobody worked there knew, knew anything wiser. No. It just meant that we didn't have to worry about any FCC scrutiny when we would play the un, <laughs> uh, you know, uncensored versions of songs because nobody <laughs> could hear us. So there what difference does it make? Uh, but yeah, I think y'all are right about kind of the I don't hear a single. Like if you have you think about that, uh, one of the interesting things in the Rolling Stone prof- profile is that they name checked all of sort of like the college touring bands that got big in that time, and so they go through Better Than Ezra, Edwin McCain, Seven Mary Three, Hootie, Dave Matthews Band, you know, and like those were sort of their peers for a while in the scene, and like. When some of the dramatic tension in the profile is them just sort of sitting there going, okay, well, we work like them, we play like them, you know, when is it going to be our turn? And I think the difference between Fighting Gravity and some of those other bands is they did good shows, but maybe didn't necessarily write good singles. Ah, uh, yes. Trans- the um, How do you tr- make that s- live performance transfer over to a recording? Exactly. Because yeah. I remember when the impression that I get first played on the radio down here in Mobile, and it came through like a juggernaut. We were like, what is this? It was an 
instant, like just powerful thing. And I didn't hear that in this record. Right. Well, and like we mentioned at the top, Jay, all those bands that were in like Northeast and Northwest Ohio, all on the sort of frat college party circuit, probably all did recordings, but trying to capture what they did live. You know, you got to go into the studio after you do the live recording and add some, add some juice to it, like Kiss Alive, make it make it sound a little extra special. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, look at a band like OER, which I would consider probably a contemporary of this band. Yep, huge live. I don't know. Do they have any hits, singles? Does any have they ever been played on the radio? I don't. I don't know, but they've played Madison Square Garden. <clears throat> right. Exactly. OAR was huge in DC because they're from DC, so they always got right. a lot of push on you know, the late lamented HFS, and then on DC 101. But I don't know how that translated to the rest of the country. But boy, howdy, when I lived in DC, did we hear some OAR? And there's no real like college radio again. Like at Ohio State, it's carrier current. So I don't remember them getting played on CD 101, which is the closest thing to what would get you know college bands would get played but they would sell out the newport music hall and they would get 1500 people in there and you know multiple times a year so and i know that you know they kept that going for years and years i don't know if they're still active or or what they are i mean it's more the um um kind of almost the jam band kind of formula like it doesn't translate to pop but it's has a huge uh, audience, and that's really more what they're what you focus on. I, I think this band, like I, I can hear pops much more pop sensibilities and craft um, here. Um, so I, it sounds like they would have the potential if they really wanted to focus, you know, on trying to write a hit song. I just don't know if that was their their aim or not. Right. But the, but the ingredients seem to be there. So let's get down to it. Worthy album, better EP, or decent single? Jay, where do you land? I've got an EP. I like Bend in the Light, um, Sparrow, Fool and Kings, Spinning. Yeah, those are my... Uh, Quiet Angel's pretty good, too. So I'm at like four four or five songs. Um, I'm at... I'm in the same range, about five songs, which is half the record. Uh, most of the same songs i like the opening track one day um and i also like the closer shattered and torn so i'm gonna go ahead and assume tara that you're at a worthy album because you said this is in your top 25 albums so yes it's a worthy album for head and heart reasons and i'm, I'm very i was worried handing this over to be objectively reviewed by people who didn't have the kind of deep heartstring connections that I did. And you've, you've, you've done it proud. And I'm very, I knew you would (laughs) like, okay, here's my heart on a platter for this. But yeah. um, You know, fighting gravity, not only was just like one of those kind of touchstone parts of my college experience, but you know, Siobhan McGee being one of the few, people of color in that whole scene that was really nice to see and then later when he came, it turns out when he came out you know one of the few lgbt people of color in the college rock scene in virginia in the 90s so they were important to me for a lot of reasons just like to not just be the same four white dudes over and over and over again no offense y'all but you get what i mean sure we're pretty <laughs> like, tiring 
we can be exhausting. We're sorry. Uh, well, you know, to like have some difference and to have a new sure. a different sound and a different kind of experience come through, especially Sigma Nu at Washington Lee University. You know, it, it was nice to have a little ray of sunshine in the cloister, so to speak. So, you know, it was a very important record to me from a, for a lot of reasons. That and it's just some really beautiful songs over top of it. Well, I think what's interesting is that this really helps us remember that on top of all the major label releases and all of the independent album releases, there's a whole nother layer of music that was released in the 90s. And it's of, you know, bands that were big in a college area or a regional area that were able to start making CDs relatively inexpensively you know you send them off to disc masters you get a thousand cds and you're able to get them out there and you know they might not have you know there are bands that have probably never left their state but they might have sold a couple thousand cds just by playing the college circuit in their area and um we're gonna end up digging into some of those over the years like this that's just uh you know, part of that college touring circuit. I had another choice that I was going to bring y'all, but I didn't because I thought it was just a little bit too much, too obscure. And it was a band I grew up with uh, down here on the coast called Pain. I was like, uh, you know, they, they, they didn't quite get, they, they never were never profiled in Rolling Stone, for example. And then after I told y'all my pick, um, they reunited under a different name and they're doing a reunion show in September. So maybe next time I'll give y'all one of those albums and we can really go deep it's called pain yeah the band was called pain that is so 90s <laughs> <laughs> try googling that and see what you come up with you can get some google hits for them you have to kind of go into some extra search words like alabama you know you can't just obviously do it off the one but yeah that that one was interesting it was interesting timing around that particular reunion please tell me they have either a song or an album called suffer or or uh so what do you think they sound like actually that would be a good question pain yeah either (laughs) death metal or no i i I mean when i hear that paint like that sounds like punk or I don't know. Something hurtful. God, Thrash? Scott adjacent is the answer. Scott <laughs> so it all comes adjacent. full circle. By the way, if you go in if you go into Discogs and you type in pain and you ser- and you narrow the search to just the word pain, fifty four different bands or artists named pain. Wow. Oh, so I don't know which one it is. Do you know the name of any of their releases? Uh, yeah, uh, the big one was Wonderful Beef. Wonderful Beef? Oh, there it is. Wonderful Beef by Pain. Pain 7. In case, you're, in case you're wondering which pain it is, it's Pain 7. Interesting. <laughs> Out of 51. <laughs> so, hey, that's that's high in, right. the, in the Pain rankings. And the album's on uh, Apple Music. Yeah, yeah. Well, I see uh, other records, Midgets with Guns. <laughs> yeah. Full Speed Ahead, Jabberjaw. Yeah. 
There's a lot of records. Interesting. I don't know how many are actually them, but... No, that's right. That's all listed on their discogs. All right. Well, and they ha- their website is called The Pain Page, which, again, if you told me what's The Pain Page or asked me, I would have said, said uh, I don't know, maybe it has something to do with wrestling. <laughs> like, it's WWE. It's still active, people. The Pain Page is still active. That's up. That's amazing. Although now they're out of Fayetteville, North Carolina. Interesting. I wonder if somebody grabbed it from them. They have a DVD retrospective. Yep. It's called In a Band, The Pain Years, 1994 to 2000. Yep. Wow. That's amazing. Jay, we're, we're never, ever going to run out of bands. <laughs> I know. <laughs> never. I know. Especially when you brought up the whole, like, I, I mean, we're never going to make it through. Even if we just stuck to the major labels and the subsidiaries of the major labels, we would never run out. But once you get into the indies and then you start to get into the really indies, like you said, you know, local band goes and does a thousand CDs. We're going to have to, we have to come up with a, uh, um, a backup plan. Like who's going to take our spot when we die because the I mean, show's got a got a lot of work to do we've done an, a, an album review that was not even released as an album it was just released as a soundtrack to a comic book yeah so how many people actually heard that that's what i'm saying eventually we're so, going to get down to cassette you know hand you know dubbed by the person <laughs> on their boom box in their dorm room and they made five copies and handed them out. Dig me out the mixtape years. Yeah. This pain, uh, pain, wonderful beef is 13 songs and it's only 37 minutes. I like that. Oh, the stories I can tell next time. Okay. <laughs> Looking well, forward to it. Thank you so much for joining us and for suggesting uh, Fighting Gravity. I hope people get the chance to check it out at the yeah, Apple Music. This was fun. Absolutely. If you, the listener, would like to partake in our discussions about albums, you can do so at dmounion.com. That's digmeoutunion.com. That's the place where you go to vote on polls for every month. We have a album review selection. We also have 80s polls running as we record this episode. We have roundtable polls. We have a great community of folks chatting about all these things. And you get cool swag depending on which tier you join us at. T-shirts, stickers. I will remind people, if you're listening, you have to give me an address if you would like your sticker mailed. If you don't put an address in there, I'm kind of... I got my hands tied. So I'll send you a reminder, but sometimes people don't check. So our 80s albums this month are... Oh, yeah. Hunters and Collectors. Yep. Died Pretty. Yep. That's a that's definitely a good one for our, us all. And Freedom by Neil Young. <laughs> yep. We are all over the place. Love I, it. I rolled the dice. We got a whole bunch of new picks from folks. And I, I, I scrambled them all up. And it got... A wild selection of picks for the for the that bowl. 
So that'll be going on until, well, by the time this episode airs, it's, it won't be active anymore, but that episode right will now, air in August. Two-way tie between All and Neil Young. Of course it is. <laughs> They're almost at complete opposite ends of the uh, alphabet. Right. In my in my collection. Uh, and if you like what you heard, folks, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. Everybody here decided Maybe if there ain't to come to wash my face I'd be okay, but then I heard the